This is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Not only is Laura Tenman a licensed psychotherapist, but she is considered to be the, and I mean the, expert in the field of clinical and medical hypnosis. So Laura is endorsed by physicians as well as celebrities such as Dr. Amen and Dr. Taz Botia, who is from the Dr. Oz Show. I'm sure you've seen her as well as many, many other media appearances. But clinical hypnosis was not her initial calling. This truly is her second wind. And where she comes from and how she got to where she is right now is simply jaw dropping. She's telling me the story and you're all not going to believe it. It's like out of a movie. She's writing a book, so that's good. Hopefully, we'll get all, all the other details that we can't get in the podcast out through the book. But anyway, I'm excited to have you here today. I've always wondered about hypnosis, so I'm super excited. Laura, welcome to Second Wind. Hey, Wendy. I am really glad to be here because not only to share my story, but all of our stories kind of collide because it's all about what's next. It's all about following the path going forward. So thank you for, for speaking this out for all of us. Yes, ma'am. You are welcome. It is my calling, so I will keep doing it and you keep doing what you're doing. And yes, all the dots connect. We're all connected. All right. So let's start with how did you get into hypnosis? What's that thing? What was the moment that said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. So actually it was, it started when I was in the jewelry business. Okay. And I saw an advertisement about a hypnosis class. And I don't know why it called to me, it just called to me and I registered for the class. And that is where it began. You are now the fifth person who is in their second wind, finding their purpose, feeling it, living it, who saw it from an ad and decided to act on the ad. Crazy. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. (laughs) It was an ad to learn hypnosis. And it was one of these quickie kind of trainings. Mm -hmm. And I just, I always loved how the mind worked and I'm curious. And so I, I answered the ad and I learned it and, you know, I did it on the side. You know how it is when you're learning something, you're just kind of Mm -hmm. testing it out. It was kind of fun. I wasn't really very good at it, but what can you really be good at in it? you know, a short weekend. It's, it's just opening up the door. That's what it did, but it opened up the door. And you stepped through. I stepped right in that door. 
And then I busted the door open and I kept going. And you became the expert. Yeah. But yeah. So let's, let's dive down that rabbit hole of your story because it's so crazy. You grew up in Queens, New York, in case anyone can't tell. And give us a little background about your upbringing. How did you get to the jewelry business you mentioned? So everything is, everything is the heart. Some people, they, their goal is to make money. And other people, their goal is to have a family. And other people, their goal is to satisfy a passion. And sometimes we're lucky enough to merge it all together. But for me, I was an artist and I wanted to follow my passion. And I I was lucky enough to get into the high school of music and art. And it was my last year in, in high school. And actually, it wasn't my last year in high school. Boy, that was such a long time ago. Let me rewind that. <laughs> it was my last year in college. Okay. And I was out with my sister. I have a twin sister. And I was out with my sister. And in those days, just a couple of hundred years ago, <laughs> we would go out to clubs and go dancing, right? And I'm not sure if you can um, have heard about those days or remember. I was in those days, girl. <laughs> yes, okay. absolutely. So, you know, you'd go out and in in Queens, in New York, after you'd go out to the clubs in Manhattan, you'd go to the diner. Yeah, it's time to eat. <laughs> right? You'd go, yeah. you'd go and you'd have something to eat. Now, my sister, she had some rings that an ex-boyfriend had given her. And she said, I need to go to a jeweler and, you know, cash these rings in. And we walk into this diner. And there are these two guys there. And what do you know? They're jewelers. So that was the first door. When, when you're ready for your dream, when you're ready to move, everything comes together. Mm -hmm. And so these, these guys talked to us about jewelry. And they told us about two sisters who had a jewelry um, retail store and that they had gone to Fashion Institute of Technology. And I'm in my last year of college, and I'm trying to decide what am I going to do? Because when I went to school, you'd ride the subways, and I'd see all these frowny face adults, and they all looked miserable. And I thought, if I'm going to work for my life, I'm going to do work that I love. I have to do work. You love. had that, you already had that in you, that the status quo is probably not going to work for you. Not for me. No, because I didn't have, let's say what you had or what my sister had. She wanted to have children. She wanted the white picket fence and that whole dream, but I didn't have that. And I just had like passion to express myself. And I just wasn't sure how, because I knew that how was I going to make money at art? Of course, I was told 
you're not going to make money doing art. Right. And it's my last year in college. And now what am I going to do? And here comes these two guys. And they gave me the answer to the next step. That's what happened. Mm. And so I went to school and I learned jewelry. And that opened the first door. Okay. So walk us through that. Okay. Well, let me go to the short version of it. Because <laughs> I, I, I went from a factory worker. Is that what you started as a factory worker right? from the fashion industry, from the school? So you, you go to school and then, you know, you know how it is. You start at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And, and your dreams, they're meant to carry you. But your skill level, your experience is puny when you're first starting out. I I mean, mine was, I just had a dream that it was a seed planted by these brothers. So I I went to work in a factory. Okay. And I learned from the bottom how jewelry is made. It's really fascinating. I learned so much there. And I went from that factory to having my own designs made in New York on Fifth Avenue and Switzerland and sold there on Fifth Avenue in Switzerland and in jewelry stores around the country. And not because I'm great, because I was <laughs> I was far from great in my, honestly, my jewelry designs were very um, primitive in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but everything is about when you have a vision, everything lines up, everything takes you to the next step. If, if you follow it and, and you're open to it, right. You have to be willing to see the steps. Well, and when you're younger, you know, you live like that. Mm-hmm. Now that I have left that career and moved on to the next one, and I understand about how the mind works, and I understand about subconscious, and I didn't understand it then. I lived it, but I I couldn't connect the dots there because I didn't have the knowledge. Now I know that when you have a drive to do something, your subconscious mind is the one that is is guiding you and there are there's nothing that could really get in the way but as we get older you know when we're younger we go that that route it's like this strong passion but as we get older and we have experiences then the chatter on the mind the conscious mind kind of gets in the way and says all the reasons why you can't or all the reasons that it's stupid. And that's the part that blocks up us. But when we're younger, we have that strong belief and that is the driver. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, the the ego isn't like as afraid of letting us try stuff or it's just not as loud or we're just not really willing to listen when we're younger. Interesting, that's why kids are so innocent and they can play and make up stories and there's no competition and all that good stuff when they're little. Yeah, that's true. So you get all your designs out there. You're selling jewelry. This is cool. You've, are have you left the factory at this point? Where are you at? Yeah. So I left the factory. 
I had several jobs in the industry, in the jewelry industry. And I'd say to jump to the next interesting detail, when you're on a path and you're meant to go somewhere, everything lines up and everything is a stepping stone to the next thing, but you don't know it. You don't know it. So here I am making my designs or thinking my designs are really great. And I run across a young man on that 47th street because 47th street in Manhattan, that's the, the jewelry industry. It's a diamond industry. And, and so that's where I was working. And I met this young man, you know, what are the chances of a young man standing outside of a building and you just start talking to them? And it turns out that that young man's parents have a jewelry manufacturing business. And that young man is not been, you know, very motivated in his life. And here I am needing, believing that I'm all this Mm -hmm. and that I need to get my designs made and the two of us coming together and his parents taking those designs, making them and going out and selling them. I mean, crazy, unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. But after a short while, I realized, you know, it became apparent that my skill level wasn't really what it needed to be. And I met another man who said, you know, Laura, why don't you, while you build your line, why don't you carry somebody else's line? And then you can make commission on that. So even if you don't sell anything, you'll still have the money to keep building your dream because that's a key point. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stop us in our dreams is that we have to do one thing in order to get to the next one. And there isn't that straight path, right? So we all need money to survive and we all need money to build. And so here's this man that I met that gave me a a, a way that I couldn't have thought of because how would I know, right? You don't right. know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so he said, why don't you carry um, somebody else's jewelry? You can make a commission by selling theirs. You're going out to stores anyway to solicit their business. Why not do that? I mean, and that makes so it, much sense, right? Yeah, the lights went off, but I am not, even though it may not seem like this to you today, I'm a very shy person, or that's who I was. I've learned how to to navigate that better, but I'm not a very outgoing person. That's not who I was. And so here I am making these designs and this vision in my mind to be this famous jewelry designer, and, and I have to go and solicit business and I have to for go yourself. Yeah. For me and now for this other company. And for another, yeah. And that was the hardest thing I could ever do. Or I thought it was. <laughs> until yeah. I learned. Okay. So you're asked. What did you say? Sure. I'll take okay. Sounds like a good idea. I know I'm going to need some money here if I want to keep my dream alive, because at this point you still want to fight for the dream. Fighting for the dream. What does that involve? Are you in a jewelry? No, you're not in a jewelry showroom. You're going to different jewelry stores with jewelry. 
I represented the manufacturer. I was a teeny weeny manufacturer of my own things. And so I would design it. I would carve the wax. I would bring it to um, a caster to cast it in gold. I would go to diamond houses and buy diamonds or colored stones. I'd bring it to the setter to have the pieces set and then polished and all of that. Then I'd go out and find a store and um, hope that they would be interested. But now I, this friend, this person that I met, who again, I didn't know, but they opened their heart to me and they even took me and introduced me to someone who had a more mature business and they had gold and diamond engagement rings. And so it was very traditional line. And I had something very different from that. And so it was a good fit. Okay. And it was through that person that I was able to get this job to carry this other person's line, this other person's jewelry line. And I learned from this man how to go out and sell. And you know, Wendy, because you hear it in my voice, my New York accent, you know, being from the North, that Northerners were very direct. And we don't know. I mean, here in Georgia, it's very different. You, you, you have to be less direct. In New York, you have to be more direct. It's just cut to the chase or at least in the boroughs, okay? And I remember I remember driving with this man who took me with him, and I was lost, not able to find a jewelry store. And I, I didn't even have the, the politeness that I needed. It was just impulsive questions. Hey, how do I get to versus excuse me, can you please tell me where? It was just that New York way. Hey, I'm late. How do I get to where yeah. I'm going? Yeah. Right? You've experienced yep. that before, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so this man, he he grew me up and taught me how to how to approach people. It wasn't anything that I really knew. So I look back now. I'm so grateful for his guidance, so grateful for all of the people who I met along the way, because all of this helped me in my next career as well. That's amazing. I, yeah, I, I know what you mean about the direct, quick, to the point, don't waste my time. You know, even if you, when I go back and now I've been in Georgia for 15, 16, I don't know, years, and I go to the bagel place and if I don't know my order and I know it's number two and I say exactly what I want, they're going to pass you over and you're not going to get your bagel. I'm just telling you, it's crazy. I have to like prepare myself before I walk in so I can rattle it off. It's crazy. It's stressful. (laughs) That's so stressful. Anyway, I digress. Okay. You've got these fabulous people. You are now out there selling jewelry. You're on your own. I'm working as a commissioned sales person yeah. for a fine jewelry manufacturer and selling his product. 
quickly coming to realize that even though I was very blessed and I was able to get my designs in certain catalogs, um, Macy's, um, you know, certain stores, the kind of level of skill that you need, it's just so much more than what I really had. It's the next click, right? Click. I love that. Thank it's you. Next, <laughs> but there also has to be a reality check. You know, at some point, you look and you say, these are the skills that I need to get where I'm going. Do I want to invest in them? You know, is that really what I want to do? You know, I spoke with somebody the other day and they said what their goal was. They didn't want to get caught up in all the little details. They were a visionary. And so I could say I wanted, I loved doing all the little details, but I wasn't good enough at it. My skill level wasn't good enough. And my designs, they weren't, they really weren't good enough. And I'm grateful that I had some ideas that Switzerland company took and went with, but that was again, because somebody was kind, you know, and I think again, behind that was the dream and the next step and meeting the people because there is that path. And then you get to that wake up place where, you know, do I could see what the truth is for me? Do I push it? Or when you know what the truth is, do you stop for that moment and reassess and move to the next space? And so that was where I was. You were in that that moment of um, crossroads almost. Crossroads, reality check. Laura, you may love jewelry. You may wish you could be this famous designer, but you're not, you don't have that. You're not going to do it. So start to look and see what else you want to do. And I love the jewelry. And so, so I was able to carry this other company's jewelry and just sell less and less of mine and take his. And so my new dream was maybe partner with him. I mean, the dream of having my own business. That's the American dream. That was one of my dreams to have my own business and in the jewelry industry, because I loved it. It was so fun. Mm -hmm. And And you were pretty successful at selling it, right? I would say that this was about, when I left the jewelry industry, it was about 24 years ago when I was selling over a million dollars of jewelry in the year at that time, which was huge for me because when I left that company that I co-founded with my best partner in the whole wide world, we started at zero. And so to go from zero to over a million dollars and push yourself to do something that isn't your nature, I was proud of myself to be able to do it. It's not like like you, I, I listen to you and you're just so, you're so bubbly and Even just the fact that you say it's all about the story, there's an instinct that you have with people that I didn't have. And so where I might be proud to say, okay, I sold over a million, 
you might, that might be like, you know, nothing to you because you would naturally be able to sell 5 million. But for me at that point, it was another, it was another reality check. It was another, it was an accomplishment for me. I was very proud. Absolutely. It was building your skills and, and getting you comfortable with talking to people that came into your path, which of course you can see now and selling, which of course with the school, which we'll talk about in a minute is all so important. So all this stuff was just getting you ready for where you are now. What people have to understand is what finally made you look at this magazine, right? Was the things, these, these incidences, shall we call them that happened when you're this now, how tall are you? Five foot two. Five two. Beautiful woman, very petite. She's driving with how much jewelry in your car at any one given time? A hundred thousand. Hundred thousand dollars of jewelry. And you are where? <laughs> You're in the Northeast New York area. Okay. And you told me that people start paying attention to who's walking in and out of these jewelry stores, correct? Yes. This company that I was working with, whose line I was carrying, I had hoped to partner with him. But when I left my commissions in, because I was building money to be able to partner with him. And when the time came- Oh, you said, I want I want to be a partner. So instead of you paying me, I'm just going to re, you know, invest in the company and then that will get me to be a partner with you. That will give me the equity. Correct. Is that yes. what you're saying? Okay. But when the time came, he said, I'm sorry, I used all your money. Nice. And I'm going to have other partners. And not only that, one of my partners is my brother-in-law. And not only that, you are going to be carrying the line for both of us in order for me to be able to pay you back the money that I owe you. And if you tell the customers, if you take the money directly from the customers, I will tell the customers that I'm not counting that money as being paid. And so you are obligated, oh if you want your money, you are obligated to not only work for me, but to work for this other partner that I have now. Nice. That's fantastic. That you, was, been, you just felt, you must've felt horrible. That was, you know, a wake up call. What was that? That was hopelessness, mm. you know, and we've all been there. I did the right thing. I did everything right. Mm -hmm. And now I'm being punished. And then, of course, you say to yourself, I'm such a dope. You know, I was naive. But you know what? It's a good thing because everything that happens to us happens for us, just maybe not in that moment. And it was, it was because of that situation that led me to be partners in my own business with a really phenomenal man who was the brother-in-law of this man, because this man not only took my money, but he took his brother-in-law's money and did the same thing. And so it led me to the next step, which was to partner 
with this other man who I got to know now because I'm I'm forced to carry this line. And and it was through that situation that me and Frankie, Frankie, New York Jew and a and a Chinaman. Okay. He's from China. I'm from New York. And it was like the the best combination ever at that time. But you're still a five foot two, very pretty, young, petite woman driving around with $100,000 of jewelry. And by the third gunpoint robbery, it was third gunpoint robbery. And you had told me that after the second one, you said, if, if this happens again, I'm out. And because my partner was such a good man, he, he counted on me. I did the outside. He did the inside. He manufactured. We had a manufacturing facility where we employed uh, jewelers and diamond setters, and we sold to Macy's and other companies of that nature. Not mm-hmm. my designs, but the traditional right. designs. And, and he put his house up for collateral. I had nothing I had $5,000 when I joined him. I was committed right. to this man and to this business. And I, I, was, I kept hearing him, him in my mind saying, Laura, you know, just five more years and you'll have a house and you'll have this and you'll have that. And then we could retire. But this second gunpoint robbery was on the heels of a death of someone in his family, the shooting of a man who introduced me to his brother-in-law. It was on the heels of one horrific incident after the next that you're torn. Mm -hmm. It's a place of what do you do? And, you know, my dream of being in the jewelry industry was becoming a nightmare. Right. So I loved this man. I loved most of my customers. And at this point, it was about 20 years of being in the jewelry industry. It was all I knew. But the way the universe works is you get a little poke. It's time to do something different. If you don't listen you get a shove. If you don't listen, you get clobbered. And I was getting clobbered because it was time. It was time to let it go. But I was torn. Right. And so at that second gunpoint robbery, I made a vow to myself. It was a conversation that I had with my subconscious mind and my conscious mind. All parts of me at that point were in agreement. And I said it to my partner, if this happens again, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. It was permission for me, what I needed to give back to him, to let somebody carry that baton and to let me move on to whatever the next thing was, which I didn't know at that point. Right. So real briefly, can you just share what that final episode looked like? The final episode was having left New York because they 
the jewelry robbing gangs knew where I lived and followed me. And I knew that I couldn't, I was so anxious, I couldn't do the job anymore. And so I told my partner, I have to have to leave. And I was traveling with security at that point, you know, that made me leave New York was when they were waiting for me at my garage. Yeah. And they, and I had pulled into my garage spot and my garage spot was a 10 car garage because they lived in, in an apartment building in Queens. And my, my garage stall was the first one up against the wall. And I was traveling with my dog at that point because things were changing in the industry and people weren't buying a lot. And so it just feels good when your dog is happy to see you and you can walk into a store and you just feel good. I had my dog in my bag and was doing business that way. And everybody knew my dog and, and it was fun. And so on this day, I had taken that, that class in the hypnosis. Oh, you had just taken the class. That's I had right. finished taking that training and I was listening to a cassette tape because it was that long ago mm-hmm. in the car, the garage door closed because it was on a timer. The car was still turned on because I was thinking I'm at the end of this. I turned the car off. I opened the garage door to let the air in because, you know, you don't want to kill yourself. And as I'm sitting in my car, I see out of the corner of my eye, a figure moving towards me. And it's a man. And I look up at him and he smashes my driver's side window smashed the window and I'm sitting there in my car frozen mm. had a gun to my head oh my god I knew he wanted my jewelry bag facing a wall with the car turned off and what am I going to do and a part of me screamed in my mind like a wake up. No, the words didn't come out of my mouth. It was the part of me that was the survival instinct. No, like I had to snap myself into action at that moment. And somehow I got that car turned on. I got the car to pull in reverse. I got to open the garage door with the clicker, all of that happened in that moment Mm. because my survival instinct, my connection to my highest self, which I know sounds goofy at this point. No, not goofy at all. That connection, it was like I, my eyes met this man's eyes and it was as if there was an agreement that he would let me go. That was what I thought. Now, also corresponding with that was the garage doors open. He was surprised, perhaps, that the garage door had 
had closed behind him. Mm. And maybe he was as scared as I was. Maybe he thought somebody else was coming in the garage. I mean, who knows? Yeah. But we locked eyes and I was able to back up that car and get out at which point he took off with my bag. A car was waiting for him because it was part of a, of a gang. That was the incident that I said, I can't do this anymore. And if this happens one more time, I can't do this anymore. After the shock and after the trauma and after the drama and not being able to leave my house, not house, because I didn't have a house and I had an apartment, a one bedroom apartment, because I had put all my money and all my effort into building this dream. It was all going down the toilet. It was at that point that I, I said, I can't do this. But he said to me, Lord, just let's make this work. Let's, and I promised him that I would do what I had to do. But if it happened again, I was done. And that's when I, I moved to Georgia. Because to Georgia, we didn't think anybody would know you. Right. That's, that was the plan. And then what happened? And then in Georgia, because they know this, these are gangs that are so much smarter than, than I was. They knew where I was. They followed me. Ugh. I had traveled with a detective, a retired detective. I had set it all up and I had, I was going for my gemological degree because I had my diamond degree and I was going to, for my gemological degree. So you're and still following the dream, even though you've listened to this hypnosis stuff. Well, you listen to the hypnosis stuff and it's the door opens, mm -hmm. but I didn't know that that was a door that I was going to be going through. Gotcha. I didn't know where I was going to be going because when you're at the crossroads, which you know, because you were at a crossroads, you're stepping into the unknown. You don't know what the next step is. You just know you're not supposed to be doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. And so you're looking, you're, you're looking for something. You're looking for something more, but you don't know what it is because you have the chatter in the mind that says, just do this, Laura. Frankie needs you. He put his house up for collateral. Just do this, Laura. You've been doing it for 20 years and you don't know how to do anything else. Just do this, Laura. You're divorced. You're alone. You, you have to support yourself. You have all of those, you know, real life things that are, that are vying for your attention. And then you have the heart thing that says, you can't do this anymore. It's time to shift. You can't do this anymore. And you get that nudge and you get clobbered when it's time to move on. I didn't know that the hypnosis was going to be that be door. answer, right. So in they found you in Georgia. What'd they do? They broke into my apartment. I had an apartment and they broke into my apartment, but I was very lucky that I didn't have the jewelry there. I had the jewelry locked up someplace else. They followed me because they thought that I had the jewelry with me. They punctured my radiator hose oh my God. the night before so that when they followed me the next day, they could pop my trunk and grab the bag. But I didn't have the bag and I was on 
a major highway, not highway, but a main road in Georgia where there were gas stations every block. And that's when the car overheated. And so I was able to pull into the gas station. I didn't have, I didn't have the bag with me. They tried to break into my house, my apartment, and the alarm went off. And that was the third attempt. And it was at that point that I had permission from my conscious mind, my subconscious mind, my heart to say to my partner, I can't do this again. I can't do this anymore because I couldn't. Right. Your life was in jeopardy. And how do you get to where you are now? The expert, like, how does that happen? Well, you know how you know how these things happen because you are the budding expert in your, in your field. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe we're getting there. However, everybody has their own story. So what happened to you? And so that's what happens is you start with what am I going to do now? What am I gonna I, do? Ah! I can't even leave my apartment. I'm looking over my children's time. And, you know, that's trauma. Mm -hmm. That's trauma. And it lives in the mind and being a licensed therapist, because I had to go back to school for a graduate degree, because when I discovered that hypnosis and the mind was the next step for me, then I have to learn everything. And that's what happens. It doesn't matter whether it's jewelry, it doesn't matter if it's hypnotherapy, it doesn't matter if it's a talk show host, it doesn't matter if it's building a restaurant, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what it is, you start at the place of desire, curiosity, and you're led to the next step. And that it's just a step by step. And just like I had to learn how to talk to people to open a door to a retailer. Now I had to learn about the mind. Now I had to figure out, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And all the pieces always fall into place when you get clear about what you want. So what did you say? I'm done, Frankie. Here I am in Georgia. What, what did that look like? What was the sentence that you said to yourself that you were going to get into this hypnotherapy and clinical psychology, what was that? I told Frankie I couldn't do this anymore. And he said, Laura, just come back to New York for one more season. Yeah. And then we'll find somebody else. Well, let's find another um, salesperson to replace you. And I agreed to do that. And oh, you had to go back. Okay. I had to go back. I had to do the right thing for my own peace of mind and for my partner, because he deserved that it was only this, the jewelry season of Christmas. That's what it was. So I had already, I was already living in Georgia. So I thought, what am I going to do? That's for a lot of people who are listening to your podcast. They're in that place of, I can't do what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm to do next. Mm-hmm. And so I had this hypnosis that I had been doing not very well, but I had been doing it. I thought, well, maybe that's something I could do, but I love art. Maybe I want to have a gallery. And so what do you do? You have to explore. And that's what I did. 
I explored this, I explored that. And I went to work as a, you know, doing web design. It's that horrible transition period where you don't know you're in the unknown. Mm-hmm. You can't find your way. There is no clear path. And it's just one foot in front of the other. And that was a year. I had enough money to just survive for that year while I figured out what to do. I didn't know what to do. And then I realized that that hypnosis may be the thing to do. I, I thought, all right, well, what do people make doing hypnosis? And I called around in Georgia. And as luck would have it, because it isn't luck, it's the next step. The next step. Is I called someone who became my mentor. Just randomly. Just randomly. because. Okay. <laughs> when I asked her about, you know, hypnosis and what does she charge? Because I was just trying to do research. You're just dabbling. I was just dabbling. <laughs> she asked me a question that I couldn't answer. And I realized in that moment, if I'm going to do this, I need to know everything. And so from that moment, I decided I am going to learn everything I need to learn. Laura, inquisitive minds want to know. Inquisitive minds. What was the question? What'd she ask you? She asked me about the results I was getting and about suggestibility. And I did not know what she was talking about. Huh. Okay. That term suggestibility, I have a completely different understanding of it. And the way she uses it was very different than the way a lot of schools or hypnotherapists use it. I did 400 hours in her school, 100 hours of internship. But in that time frame, I also went to every hypnosis training I could ever take. I got a PhD in hypnosis, although there were no um, PhD accredited programs. Right. But I didn't care. I needed to know everything. I was fascinated, fascinated by the way the mind worked. And I was going to be the best. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it with the same passion that I did the jewelry or I did any other dream because it became that burning desire. I finally had the path. This is next for me. Awesome. I bet that felt, that must've been such a relief, but also exciting, energizing. Did you feel like you were in alignment? Like everything was just lined up. You're like, aha, I get it now. Did could you could you go back and say at that moment could you say aha these are all the dots and these are how these lined up for me? That's what happens is nice. you know that's exactly what happens. Like if not for that person stealing all my money, if not for me meeting my my best in the whole wide world jewelry business partner, if not for these robberies, if not. I wouldn't be in Georgia. I wouldn't have met her. And and I would not have learned what I really need to learn to 
change people's lives. So, okay, great segue. How do you change people's lives? It's kind of like this book that I'm writing because what I've discovered over the last 23 years (laughs) doing the hypnosis, because it's almost 23 years now, the problem that we have is our beliefs and our beliefs are the things that get in the way and we don't even know that that's what the problem is. Right. We're hypnotized accidentally into whatever our problem is. And it's like we're I, imprinted. When you when you say it's kind of like we're imprinted with this kind of like an imprint. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of like an imprint when you don't realize it. So with the gunpoint robberies, I'm looking over my shoulder all the time. My worldview changed from I'm safe to I'm not safe. Mm-hmm. And so that directs my path. So it doesn't really matter if I were married and my husband had an affair and that imprinted on me, using your words, or whether I had a gun to my head and that created a new belief of fear mm-hmm. in me, mm-hmm. or if I smoked cigarettes because everybody who I bonded with was smoking. And so that created a belief. It doesn't matter what it is. That's what's actually going on. Right. Everything boils down to this belief that we feel is a fact that we carry forward in our life and we can't see because it's in a blind spot. And so what I get to do is look at the puzzle and figure out what is the thing that's getting in the way and then help a person change how they're seeing things and change how they're feeling. And rewire them kind of? It is. It's going back to school for a graduate degree in psychology. I understand that logically the mind wants to know, but in Studying hypnosis, the feelings don't change from knowing. The feelings change from the subconscious mind. You have to change the feeling in the place where it originated. And so when you say to me, tell me a story about a person, I'm recalling a client who was sent by her physician for panic attacks. And really what happened with that person is that it goes back to suggestibility. People learn in different ways. Some people learn very analytically and other people learn through feelings. And other people, they're kind of split down the middle. And when you're split down the middle, you you get overloaded with data because you can you're processing the analytical data and you're processing the you know feelingful data the creative stuff and so you're always overloaded and so those people those people could do anything but they get caught up because they get so overloaded and that was really what was going on with this girl she's having panic attacks and she tells me that she can't breathe. And now it's so debilitating. She crawls up in a ball and kind of regresses 
because she's so overloaded. She has such a strong imagination, having worked with her in hypnosis and as a counselor and as a hypnotherapist, I understand exactly what's going on. She goes into imagination and pulls up the worst case scenario. The mind cannot tell the difference between what's real and what's vividly imagined. If I think back to the gunpoint robbery, my heart pounds. Mm -hmm. If you think back to an upset where somebody did you wrong, you get upset again. You get that feeling, that nauseous feeling in your stomach, like when your boyfriend cheated on you. Is that just me? Okay, going on. (laughs) That's all of us. And, you know, it's the same, the mind-body connection, exactly what you said. And that what was, was what was going on with this person. And because that's why, you know, the anti-anxiety pills, they help, but then you have to keep taking them. Yeah, keep taking them. That's the thing. It just keeps you at a steady, even keel. Doesn't solve the problem. Doesn't solve the problem. How and do you solve the problem? By understanding what the problem was. Yeah. In this case, the problem was suggestibility. Problem was that she was so good in her imagination that she would automatically step into the hypnotic state. Wow. And when you're overloaded, you don't realize it, but you're in the hypnotic state. And the more you imagine in your mind worst case scenarios or all the bad things, the deeper. You go into that experience, and what you're doing is you're using self-hypnosis unintentionally. And I'm calling it accidental hypnosis. And so it doesn't matter if you're reliving that boyfriend who cheated on you. It doesn't matter if you're reliving the gunpoint robbery to your head. It doesn't matter if you're in, you know, anticipation of some horrible thing happening, it's happening in the mind and you're drifting into that state and you're strengthening it. And that was what happened with that person. And it was because we were able to use that. First, I was able to understand how the brain worked and subconsciously, and I was able to explain it to her, but the explaining only explains it. It doesn't change the feeling. And by using hypnosis, I'm able to have her rehearse in her mind new response patterns. And so it isn't like digging back in the past and reliving horrible upsets. It's like taking the upset and dissolving it and stepping into the future with new thought patterns and new feelings. And that's, that's what it is. And that's what I do. And that's what I teach people to do. Because it's such an awesome, awesome, rewarding, fascinating career. Amazing. Like you teach people who've smoked their whole lives to quit through hypnosis. And I never thought I was like, how does that happen? But you said it happens all the time. I, I know people. We know people together who That's you've right. done that with. It's crazy. But it really isn't crazy. It's that it's that part of the mind. You know, people think the conscious mind, they make a decision in their conscious mind, and that's what 
leads them, but it isn't the conscious mind. It's driven by the belief systems or the fears, like talk about COVID. Right now, everyone is anxious and everyone is in accidental hypnosis because what is hypnosis? It's the power of suggestion. And Uh, how does it work? It works through repetition. And isn't that what we're getting now? Every day, we're getting reminders. You're not safe. Put your mask on. Take that vaccine. Stay six feet apart. You're not safe. Every day, we get that message. What's happening? We're overloaded, and we're believing the message. It's a very, very hypnotic message because it taps in. It taps into survival. And when your emotion overrides the logical part of the mind, which is what happens when your survival instinct is kicked in, every time your emotion overrides your logical mind, you're entering a hypnotic state. And the suggestion you get in that state is strong and it stays strong. And now, the laws of hypnosis, repetition and association, and we're reinforcing the fear. People need to turn off the TV and, and go out and just be in nature and be grateful for what they have and, yeah, all that stuff. I didn't even think about that, that the whole world's under hypnosis. Everyone right is. 100% right. I see it, like even my mother. She won't even come to my daughter's wedding because she's she could. We could drive her. We could fly her. She's had her vaccines. We're safe. The wedding's outside. But because she's watching and listening. And when you listen, when you're overloaded, the analyzing ability steps aside and the subconscious mind is available. That's how it works. And so when you listen at nighttime, the brainwave patterns are even moving towards the hypnotic brainwave patterns. You're not in that thinking state. But right now, we have one message of fear on top of another message, illness on top of another message, politics on top of another message, race on top of another message, gender on top of another message, finances. We've got every message and there's no relief. And so everyone is walking around in this very fearful, anxious, overloaded state. And when you're in that state, you can't analyze. And so anything that drops in, drops in stronger. And so what I'm having to do now is actually pull people out of hypnosis, remind them, just like that person that I spoke to you about, so suggestible because she couldn't block it. But now everyone is having trouble blocking it. And that's why on social media, people are much more aggressive. That's why you're finding people more verbal. That's why people who were your friends aren't acting like your friends anymore because they're their survival instinct is kicking in. It's overloading the logical mind. And if 
if I don't wear a mask and you believe that you're in danger, I'm pushing those buttons. You're going to be verbal. If I'm wearing a mask and I'm feeling like I'm suffocating because it's not healthy for me, or you force me to wear a mask and I feel like it's it's suffocating me and it's bad for my health. Now my survival response is kicking in. And so we have people on opposite ends of the political spectrum, health spectrum, every spectrum, everyone is elevated and everyone is more and more hypnotized into their own beliefs that they can't even listen to something different. Ah, So Laura, obviously what you offer right now is so needed. How do people find you? How can people work with you? What can we do? All right. Well, there are two things. One is I can help people get out of whatever it is that they're going through, you know, break habits, reach goals, clear up the past. And I'm also teaching people how to do that as a career. It's such a rewarding career on so many levels. You could reach me either for either of those purposes. I want to make I want to make a person an expert in their own in their own life, in their mind, and as a career in hypnosis. So I want to put you back in the driver's seat, whether you want to do this as a career or whether you just want to, you know, do it for yourself. So if you want to just clean up what's going on with you, then call me. You could call my office at 770-998-3881. Or you could go to my website, lauratemen.com. If you want to learn hypnosis and become certified in it and help other people, then you can also reach me at lauratemen.com. But my, my state authorized school of hypnosis, the only one of its kind in Georgia is. And you run this school. This is your school, right? My mentor handed the reins down to me and I took her training and added in other training that I gathered along the way in my, you know, experience in the ER, working in the ER and mental health, my experience with you know, the Amen clinics, my experience with trauma personally, all of my marriage counseling and, you know, psychotherapy skills. And I added mm-hmm. that in. So this school really ha- is, has been around for 23 years, but I've taken it over now, changed the name. And that this is the second year and it's professional Hypnosis Institute. That's the name of the school, Professional Hypnosis okay. Institute. And, and so we'll have all this on the show notes. So don't worry about that. Laura, thank you so much for your time today. Wendy, thank you for sharing my message, for allowing me to let people know that you got to go through the little hard part, but it takes you to the awesome part and you could do it. If it's calling to you, you don't have a choice. 
and you could do it. I know you could do it. Whoever it is that you are, I know you can do it. Yes, indeed. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.